All right, everybody. It is Wednesday, August 2nd. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news, read between the lines so you don't have to. And Jill, more often than not these days, reading indictments so you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, Moshe, anything going on in the news today? Jill, it's Groundhog Day. It's indictment day. Uh, third in six months. Uh, we also had a credit rating downgrade. I don't want to take away from your headlines, but uh, it was quite a Tuesday, especially Tuesday afternoon. And so we're going to try to break it down for all of you uh, in this pod. Let's just say we wrote the podcast and then we rewrote the podcast because a lot of breaking news pretty late in the day. Uh, With that, let's get to some of these headlines. Donald Trump has been indicted again, his third in just six months, this time over election interference. The U.S. credit is downgraded after all that recent chaos in Washington over the debt ceiling. Some new data on the political leanings of our nation's kids. High school boys are trending conservative. Girls are more liberal. Don't call it a comeback. Bed Bath & Beyond returns, but online only and operated by Overstock. The singer Lizzo is being sued by some of her former backup dancers, and you'll never believe why. The U.S. women's soccer team has lived to play another day at the World Cup, but they seem to be lacking that 2019 magic. And Moshe's on this day in history. Jill, do you remember the uh, rock legend Bob Zimmerman? You mean Robert Zimmerman? For those of you who don't know who we're talking about, big day in history for that musician. Okay, so we have been on indictment watch for a couple of weeks now, and Tuesday was the day. For the second time in two months, a federal grand jury has indicted former President Donald Trump. Once again, the special counsel is Jack Smith. This time around, though, he is being charged in connection with efforts to overturn the 2020 election leading up to the January 6th, the 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol. So the former president has been indicted on four counts. One is conspiracy to defraud the United States, quote, by using dishonesty, fraud and deceit to obstruct the nation's process of collecting, counting and certifying the results of the presidential election. The second charge, conspiracy to impede the January 6th congressional proceeding. The third, a conspiracy against the right to vote and to have that vote counted. And the fourth, obstruction of and an attempt to obstruct and impede the certification of the electoral vote. Reading from that 45-page indictment, federal prosecutors say that Trump was, quote, determined to remain in power after losing the 2020 election. So for more than two months following Election Day on November 3rd, 2020, the defendant spread lies that there had been outcome determinative fraud in the election and that he had actually won. The indictment continues. These claims were false and the defendant knew they were false, but the defendant disseminated them anyway to make his knowingly false claims appear legitimate, create an intense atmosphere of mistrust and anger and erode public faith in the administration of the election. That line about the defendant in this case, Donald Trump, knowing that those claims were false, Moshe, I think that that's really key here. Prosecutors add that Trump and co-conspirators organized fraudulent groups of electors and caused them to submit fraudulent certificates to overturn the election. Now, of course, this isn't Trump's only legal trouble. Back in June, Jack Smith charged Trump in the classified documents probe. Back in March, Manhattan grand jury charged the former president for business fraud, for making hush money payments to porn star Stormy Daniels. 
But a lot of political analysts say that this case actually hits at the former president's most serious betrayal of his constitutional duties, the peaceful transfer of power. Right. It's pretty remarkable when you read through this indictment. We'll include a link uh, in the show notes. This is a former president slash current candidate for president who is charged with multiple counts of trying to subvert the democracy, trying to subvert the election, trying to use the Justice Department to conduct sham investigations, trying to use his vice president to overturn the election, exploiting the Capitol attack uh, to try to cajole members of Congress to halt certification. 30 plus pages of examples here of what the president and his co-conspirators were engaged in. Uh, Jill, a light coup. Uh, some people have described this as, and notably in the indictment here, Jack Smith tries to tell a story in his allegations that uh, what Trump could have done legally and what Trump was doing illegally. And he starts out by saying Trump legally had the ability to claim fraud, to file lawsuits, uh, to uh, do a variety of things that, by the way, he did. But then those turned out not to work. So he took it to an illegal level. And that's when uh, you have Smith here laying out the indictment, the conspiracy charges and the obstruction charges that Trump went beyond legal means to fight the results of the election. The pushback from the Trump folks is everything he did totally kosher. They don't actually think the crimes alleged here are actual crimes. Uh, the Trump defense saying this is free speech, he's being prosecuted for free speech. Uh, if he gets prosecuted for this, no American has the ability to speak out whatsoever. That's what they're saying, at least so far in their first round of media interviews. At the same time, Jack Smith uh, gave a brief statement to the media on camera on Tuesday, really trying to tie Trump to January 6th here. Effectively, what he's saying, it's sort of um, deductive here, that January 6th was a crime, and multiple dozens of people have been prosecuted for that crime. And they're saying that Trump, in the lead up to January 6th, was corrupting institutions, corrupting justice, corrupting Congress, corrupting people at the state level, corrupting his vice president, and that's what led to the illegal activities on January 6th. So basically, the two months leading up also involved illegalities. Here's a bit of what Jack Smith had to say. The attack on our nation's capital on January 6th, 2021, was an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. It's described in the indictment it was fueled by lies, lies by the defendant targeted at obstructing a bedrock function of the U.S. government, the nation's process of collecting, counting, and certifying the results of the presidential election. So Smith says he'll seek a speedy trial. He already has one set for May, by the way, on those hundreds of top secret classified documents and obstruction charges uh, and Mar-a-Lago. So scheduling this will be interesting because then he has a separate trial, uh, Trump does, in March, starting in March in New York, related to the Stormy Daniels situation. We'll see when this trial starts. Jill, there are so many interesting details in the indictment, including a list of six anonymous co-conspirators well, not so anonymous. I think people in the media are gradually figuring out uh, who these people are. And these people are figuring out themselves who they are and putting out statements. So there's six co-conspirators. Uh, they include Rudy Giuliani, uh, Sidney Powell. You might remember her as one of Trump's attorneys. John Eastman, the attorney who came up with the theory that Pence could uh, overturn the election, which everyone else in constitutional scholar land was saying that is not how the Constitution works. Uh, but you have a number of these people named in the indictment as well. 
So, Mosh, we saw with the other one of Jack Smith's indictments about classified documents that other people, Walt Nada and the groundskeeper, were actually charged themselves. In this case, no one else has been indicted yet. So what exactly does it mean that they are co-conspirators? Eventually, will they be charged here? It means they should be getting really good attorneys, Jill. Uh, So it means that Jack Smith made a decision here to only charge Trump so far. But Jack Smith has shown himself to uh, add additional charges and additional people over time, like the groundskeeper you mentioned, who uh, nearly two months after Nada and Trump were charged, uh, he was charged in the Mar-a-Lago case. So Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, John Eastman, uh, a former DOJ official, Jeffrey Clark, uh, and then there's a couple others there, uh, need to lawyer up and should bear in mind that they might face charges soon. It's sort of an indication uh, to them is we know who you are, we may charge you soon. Maybe it's time for you to flip and talk to us uh, before we actually charge you with a crime. Or this is your early heads up that we're about to charge you with a crime as well. Another thing that's a little bit different about this case compared to the classified documents case in Florida is the judge. So the judge in that classified documents case, a Trump appointee had been favorable to him in other rulings related to the classified documents case. In this case, though, the judge is an Obama appointee who has actually given some pretty tough sentences uh, when she's overseen cases uh, with the January 6th rioters. Yeah, so Jack Smith made a decision in the classified records case to take it to Florida, to a Mar-a-Lago territory, and was randomly assigned a Trump-appointed judge. Now, he decided with the election case, given that he lays out crimes committed in the White House in Washington, D.C., to uh, pursue the case in Washington. The judge in this case also randomly assigned, but happens to be, as you said, an Obama appointee. Her name is Tanya Sue Chutkin. Uh, She's known for very tough sentencing. uh, And so that'll be very interesting here. And keep in mind, if you're a uh, federal judge in D.C., you often hear these types of cases related to conspiracy, related to um, election law, etc. So uh, while in Florida, there are concerns that the judge down there might be inexperienced when it comes to the classified records type cases, D.C., uh, they seem to have these types of cases on lockdown, experience with them, knowing how to handle them, especially high profile people. Uh, of course, uh, that will not limit the ability for Donald Trump to say, oh, it's an, Ob- it's an Obama appointee. Of course, I'm going to get unfair treatment. And those will be among the things you can expect to hear from the Trump team. They want to change a venue because they don't think D.C. will be fair. They're going to want to change a judge because they don't think they'll be fair. So that's one of the things to watch here is kind of what types of defenses the uh, Trump folks put up. And then, Jill, I think one of the more fascinating stories in this case is Mike Pence and his role. If you read the indictment, there are pages and pages of the indictment that would not be possible if not for the very uh, detailed note-taking of one Vice President Mike Pence. We learn in the indictment that he took contemporaneous notes. Basically, every meeting he had in the Oval Office, he would go back and write it up, being like, the president told me to do this. I told him to do this. The other person told me to do this. Very, very detailed notes in the weeks leading up to January 6th. Probably some of these charges would not be possible if not for the notes of one Mike Pence, who incidentally is running for president against Donald Trump. 
Uh, a couple of examples in Mike Pence's notes. Uh, Trump says at one point to him, bottom line, we won every state by hundreds of thousands of votes, the disputed states that Biden actually won. At another time, he tells Pence that the Department of Justice was finding major infractions with the 2020 election. Uh, again, something Trump knew to be false. And then wait for this. This is something you'll probably hear a bit at the trial. Trump at one point calls Pence New Year's Day, January 1st, 2021, and tells him, Mike, you're being way too honest for refusing to go along with this whole uh, thing I want you to do in Congress. You're being, quote, too honest. So you can imagine that uh, will certainly be used by the prosecution against Donald Trump here. Mike Pence acknowledging that he plays a starring role in this uh, in this indictment put out a statement on Tuesday saying, interestingly, today's indictment serves as an important reminder. Anyone who puts himself over the Constitution should never be president. So Mike Pence, after being a bit squishy lately on Donald Trump, uh, doesn't really have a choice anymore. It's funny. I thought you were going to mention when Mike Pence called Donald Trump on Christmas to just sort of say, hey, Merry Christmas, Mr. President. And Trump was like, we need to talk about the election. And he's like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So 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 the indictment literally is day by day by day. And Mike <laughs> Pence takes notes after every phone call. I don't know if anybody has friends like this, but he literally keeps a diary of everything the president told him. So this is the New Year's Day phone call where he's like, Pence, you're being way too honest about this, uh, which clearly implies that. Was he intentionally lying? Well, when you call someone too honest, that's, you know, essentially what you're saying. Either way, Jill, it is very likely that someone called to the witness stand at this trial will be Vice President Pence. So you'll have Trump in the courtroom and his vice president testifying against him as they go through his notes and the allegations he makes. I mean, he eventually, I mean, he effectively sort of is the victim of crimes here when you lay out uh, the indictment. So Jill, it'll be fascinating because you literally have Trump and his supporters saying there is no crime here. This is like getting to be too much with all these indictments. And you have the other side saying this was a former president who was trying to illegally subvert the system. And so there is a lot at stake here in this case. And you can even say there's a Stormy Daniels case. OK, there's a classified documents case. All right. Arguments there. But we've seen other folks take classified documents. But Trump sort of took it to a new level. This is a very unique case. All right, Mosh, uh, we could go on, but actually lots of other news to get to. A major headline on the economic front. All of that government dysfunction has consequences. Fitch ratings downgraded the U.S. credit rating to double A plus from triple A on Tuesday, pointing to, quote, expected fiscal deterioration over the next three years, an erosion of governance and a growing general debt burden. Fitch said the repeated debt limit, political standoffs, and last-minute resolutions have eroded confidence in fiscal management. You may remember in May, the agency placed the nation's AAA rating on negative watch, blaming the debt ceiling fight. And at the time, lawmakers in Washington were butting heads over an agreement that would keep the federal government from running out of money. President Biden signed that debt ceiling bill on June 2nd, just days before a potential default. The country's recent debt limit feud mentioned again in Tuesday's downgrade. Yeah, they effectively lay out, Jill, what they say is 20 years of deterioration in the U.S. And keep in mind, Fitch is one of the three agencies, along with S&P and Moody's, that evaluate companies or countries' ability to pay their debts. 
Now, something to make note of, AAA, obviously the best. AA Plus, still very good. One of the highest possible ratings a country can have. Uh, Fitch says the nation still benefits from a large, advanced, well-diversified, high-income economy. That said, the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen pushing back on Tuesday, saying, I strongly disagree with this decision, saying it was arbitrary and based on outdated data, effectively saying, listen, we got through the last crisis. Why you got to punish us for it? Notably, though, the last time the U.S. faced a credit downgrade back in 2011, S&P downgraded uh, the rating from AAA at the time down to AA+, so from outstanding to excellent. So basically from A plus to A here, that's effectively the credit rating equivalent here. And that uh, downgrade also came back in 2011 after a debt ceiling standoff that nearly took us to the brink of not being able to pay our debt. But what you have here is uh, a warning from the agencies to investors saying, America, a little unhealthy. Uh, So just beware before you buy up a bunch of their debt. And this has consequences because keep in mind, we function in America off of debt, right? Where we're in more than $31 trillion of debt as far as the government is concerned. It continues to go further into debt. Typically, when your credit rating goes down, that increases your interest payment. So it makes it more expensive to borrow money over time. And that's why uh, that is so concerning to some folks on Wall Street. Initially, uh, the uh, overnight trading was down. We'll watch it today. All right, we have a lot more to get to in this podcast, including today's speed read, but we want to talk about one of our new partners here. And it's an amazing one for all of you with small businesses or frankly, big businesses out there, or those of you who are ready to launch your own startup. Jill, how does this sound make you feel? Money, 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 money. Jill is spot on there. That is the sound of a sale (laughs) using Shopify. If you're a business owner, you're always looking for solutions to get your product to more customers. Shopify is an e-commerce platform that is revolutionizing millions of businesses around the world. Uh, Whether you're just an entrepreneur selling a few things or you're IPO ready, Shopify is the tool you need to be able to start, run, and grow your business without struggle. Once you've reached your audience, Shopify has one of the best converting checkouts out there that help turn browsers into buyers. We are looking at launching some Mo News merch, and we'll be doing it using Shopify. And they have a special deal for all of you right now. You can sign up for just $1 per month, a special trial period, at shopify.com slash Mo News. Again, shopify.com slash Mo News, all lowercase, for that $1 a month trial. Shopify will allow you to take your business to the next level today. All right, let's go back to the economy from CNBC. Some new data points to a stable job market as job vacancies and layoffs edged lower in June. So openings down slightly for May. This is according to the Labor Department's monthly JOLTS report. Along with that, the report said layoffs also down for May. Economists are watching these two data points closely for clues about the direction of a labor market that has proven surprisingly resilient, and that's despite a series of Fed interest rate hikes that have been aimed at slowing down the economy and with it, inflation. Yeah, we wanted to mention this just because we came off of some positive economic reports last week. On Friday will be the big jobs report. And this is the latest indication that the Fed might be able to achieve, Jill, this Goldilocks situation of getting it just right, uh, increasing interest rates to try to bring down inflation, without crashing the economy into a recession. So they're watching the jobs market because they don't want to see massive layoffs. And though we've seen some major headlines in tech and certain sectors, overall, when you look at the larger economy, it appears that it has stabilized uh, to the level that it wanted. And that's something the Fed is looking at 
as they look to potentially one more interest rate hike in the coming weeks. From the Hill, a look at the next generation of voters. According to new data, 12th grade high school boys are twice as likely to identify as conservative compared to liberal. In surveys over the last three years, roughly one quarter of high school seniors self-identified as conservative or very conservative on the Monitoring the Future survey. Only 13% of boys identified as liberal or very liberal. This is a study that has been done every year since the 70s. And while a majority of boys stated that they had no political opinions at all or were moderate, this move to the right among some boys is still noteworthy. As recently as the late 2000s, liberal boys occasionally outnumbered conservatives. Back in the 1970s, both boys and girls leaned liberal. And nowadays, it's the girls who are drifting to the left. The share of 12th grade girls who identified as liberal rose from 19% in 2012 to 30% in 2022. Only 12% of girls identify as conservative in last year's survey that was administered by the University of Michigan. So you've seen this among older ages for years. You know, Democrats are the mommy party. Republicans are the daddy party. Democrats can't win elections without a huge majority of women uh, and running even with men. Republicans uh, make up for losses they typically have with women with bigger advantages among men. But it's interesting that we're seeing this at such a, a young level here, Jill. And just above these 12th graders, Young women uh, ages 18 to 29 are also trending even more liberal than before. They're now twice as likely as young men to claim the liberal tag, uh, women in their 20s. Uh, that's widening the gender gap in political beliefs. And what's interesting is uh, the leftward drift among women has really moved the needle altogether for Gen Z, which favors liberalism over conservatism by a 48 to 33 margin, according to NBC polling last year. Uh, just 10 years earlier, in 2012, young adults, these would have been young millennials at the time, were evenly split between conservatives and liberals, uh, and the push left among women, especially uh, kind of coming out of Roe v. Wade last year, is really indicating that Gen Z is uh, heavily favored uh, towards Democrats. Jill, I was hearing from a number of community members, both teachers and parents of uh, high school boys, and I was asking them, like, what do you think explains this? What are you hearing from your 17-year-olds, from your 18-year-olds? And the explanations range, uh, but they include the following things. Uh, a number of boys looking to critics of COVID masking policies. You know, they want to blame somebody uh, for ruining the last couple of years of their education. So they look to conservatives who were pushing harder to reopen in-person schools. Uh, also, there's a feeling among a number of boys that DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, is capturing all other groups except for them. Also, they're made to feel in some schools like the, as young uh, men, they are to blame for society's ills. So they're turning to people who reject that. Uh, and and then I simply got from a couple of people, you know, that it's YouTube. YouTube, the YouTube algorithm is giving them this bent, but that doesn't necessarily explain what's happening to girls at the same time. But I think it's fascinating, Jill, and and how this manifests itself as these as this group becomes voters uh, in the coming years will be really interesting to watch. From Forbes, Bed Bath & Beyond returns as an online-only retailer operated by Overstock. BedBathAndBeyond.com relaunched on Tuesday, months after the company declared bankruptcy and shuttered all of its brick-and-mortar stores thanks to Overstock which purchased the brand out of bankruptcy. Overstock.com paid $21.5 million for Bed Bath & Beyond's intellectual property and digital assets and is now adopting the Bed Bath & Beyond brand as its own to create one online retailer 
As of Tuesday morning, Overstock.com redirects to BedBathAndBeyond.com. It lives, Moshe. It lives, Jill. And most importantly, what's the most important question? What about the coupons? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what is the answer to that question? I still don't know. All right. So Fast Company is reporting that as part of the rebranding of Overstock to Bed, Bath & Beyond, the company will be offering everybody 20% off any single item on its website and 25% off on its app. That's a move meant to entice all of us who have grown very used to these last few years, that 20% off big blue coupon that used to arrive in the mail. You'd stack them up in a drawer. Uh, Now, they're saying that the coupons will not go out as frequently moving forward, but they will be coming via email. So it's a tradition. Uh, How do they say that the masters? It's a tradition like none other. Uh, (laughs) The Bed Bath & Beyond coupon will live on. Overstock has heard us on this podcast uh, and... (laughs) And everywhere else. Um, it's interesting, Jill, that Overstock made this decision to take on the Bed Bath & Beyond branding here. Uh, they believe that it's a recognizable brand. Uh, and so uh, ultimately, they went with it. So it sort of never went away, Jill. As I said in the beginning, don't call it a comeback. <laughs> okay, from NBC, three of Lizzo's former dancers have accused the singer of sexual harassment and creating a hostile work environment. This was all in a lawsuit filed Tuesday. They also allege that she pressured one of them to touch a nude performer at a club in Amsterdam. The suit filed in Los Angeles Superior Court also accuses the captain of Lizzo's dance team of proselytizing to other performers and deriding those who had premarital sex while sharing lewd sexual fantasies and publicly discussing the virginity of one of the plaintiffs. They also allegedly subjected the group to an excruciating audition after leveling false accusations that they were drinking on the job. The dancers accused Lizzo of calling attention to one dancer's weight gain and later berating and firing that dancer after she recorded a meeting because of a health condition. Jill, there are some there are quite some allegations um, in this suit for those who want to read. And we won't go into all the details. We try to keep this uh, podcast relatively family friendly. But it is notable uh, that this is happening. The accusations here are being leveled at Lizzo because Lizzo is a performer who is known for embracing body positivity, celebrating her physique. And it just feels like behind the scenes here, if these allegations are true, that they completely go against everything or many things Lizzo was saying in public. So the suit does name her, who, by the way, her real name is Melissa Vivian Jefferson, her production company uh, and uh, members of her team as defendants. The suit doesn't say that Lizzo knew specifically about all these allegations uh, linked to the dance captain, but they believe Lizzo was aware of the complaints about the dance captain. Uh, In addition to the accusations of hostile work environment, sexual harassment, the suit also brings claims for religious, racial harassment, false imprisonment, interference with prospective economic advantage, other allegations. Uh, Not every claim is brought against everybody, but this is certainly something uh, that we'll be watching. I sort of reminded some folks who are messaging in, Jill, of the Ellen DeGeneres allegations. You know, that Ellen puts forth a certain image, but behind the scenes on her show, uh, there were a bunch of employees uh, feeling like they were completely mistreated. Moshe, I know one of the lessons uh, that we have taken away here at Mo News is uh, team building exercises should probably be a little bit more G-rated, which is why we are very excited for a Zoom cooking lesson. <laughs> That's what we are doing to, to build camaraderie. We have that coming up next week. And by the way, it's not a reaction to this Lizzo piece. This has been long planned because we here at Mo News know that there's no better way to build camaraderie than cook together. 
virtually. All right, from USA Today, the U.S. women are still alive at the World Cup, but barely. They needed a win or a tie to avoid being eliminated in the group stage for the first time ever at a World Cup or Olympics. The four-time World Cup champions squeaked through with a scoreless draw against Portugal, a team that it had beaten in each of its previous 10 meetings. It was a far closer game than it should have been, but the tie was enough for the U.S. women to finish second in Group E and go through. So that's the good news. The bad news is that they're likely to face an old nemesis, Sweden, in the round of 16. Jill, it's going to be very interesting to see if the team can reset here. Remember, they're going for their third straight World Cup win. They won in 2015. They won in 2019. They're trying to pull off the three-peat here. Uh, but so far, uh, it's looking a little murky lately uh, based on the last couple of games. In the game against Portugal, they were turning the ball over and making passes into empty spaces, not finishing a lot of the chances they had. So they advanced to the knockout stage of the World Cup with their 0-0 to draw versus Portugal, which means they will face the second seed out of Group E. That means they're facing Sweden, a familiar foe. The kickoff is at 5 a.m. Eastern on Sunday. For those of you, either you stay up really late on the West Coast or you wake up really early on the East Coast. So uh, as you wrote here, get the coffee ready uh, and see if they can sort of reset and uh, you know get ready for the long run here as they make their run for a third straight World Cup title. All right, on this day in history, August 2nd, we start in 1776. The official signing of the Declaration of Independence took place today in Philadelphia. Uh, try that trivia uh, with a family member later today. So the Declaration of Independence was passed by a vote on July 2nd. That's the day John Adams actually thinks Independence Day should have been. There were some revisions made, and it was passed again on July 4th, the day we celebrate independence, but it was actually signed on August 2nd. So a little bit of Revolutionary War calendar trivia for you there. Let's fast forward to the 20th century. On this day in 1923, the 29th president, Warren Harding, died in San Francisco of a heart attack. He was 57 years old. Vice President Calvin Coolidge would become president. Another piece of trivia for you. There have been eight times a president has died in office out of the 45 individuals who have been president. Four were assassinated. Four died of natural causes. Of course, Warren Harding one who died of natural causes. Uh, but we should note Warren Harding, and it's a whole separate podcast uh, as a fan of presidential trivia. Probably one of our worst presidents ever, Jill. A heavy drinker. He probably did a half an hour of work a day and would just like listen to baseball games. Uh, that was Warren <laughs> Harding. And so he passes away. Calvin Coolidge takes over. But there's a whole separate pod we could do on Warren Harding at some point. All right, finally, one other major historical event on this day. Iraq invaded Kuwait on this day in 1990. That was Saddam Hussein's uh, invasion that sparked the first Persian Gulf War. It led to an international force led by the U.S. to quickly defeat Iraq, pushing them out of Kuwait, uh, and then basically setting the stage to 10 years later, the second uh, war against Saddam Hussein, which would lead to his ouster. All right, and we end here with a bit of music history. 61 years ago today, two major moments on August 2nd, 1962. First, American Bandstand sees the debut of a singer named Aretha Franklin, who sings Try a Little Tenderness. So she made her big debut on American Bandstand on this day. Also on this day in history, Bob Dylan made his name change official, legally saying goodbye to his birth name, Robert Zimmerman. Hence the clue at the beginning of the pod. And we were not referring to the Robert Zimmerman 
that lost to George Santos uh, for Congress here, here on Long Island. We are chock full of trivia today. Robert Zimmerman, yes, the man who went down to defeat against George Santos, but also the birth name of one Bob Dylan. Okay, Moshe, big thank you to everybody for listening to the Mo News podcast. If you like what you hear, share this with your friends. We'd really appreciate it. It will help us grow and it might make you look smart. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. And appreciate all of you who are joining Mo News Premium. We're offering a free 30-day trial right now with the code Mo News Trial. Head over to mo.news. Code is Mo News Trial to try it out. It's a way to support what we're doing here. And also get access to our members-only podcast, members-only Instagram account. Get your questions answered on a daily basis. All right. Bye, everybody. Later. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.